0: Okay, and good to have you here, Kurt Mortensen. Maximize your influence as we take that dive into some of those blunders, mistakes, things that you're doing that are costing you money. This is part two, as I reveal, and some of you probably already know things that are anti-suasive, dissuasive, things that you're doing that repel people. We talk about that one today. Hope everyone's having a great week. Mine's been going well, been doing a lot of training on Internet 3, blockchain, and being more trustless. If that interests you, go back to the archives, Podcast 378, where I focus on trustless. That can be found at Maximize Your Influence, also the home of your Persuasion IQ assessment, and you can get for free the new edition of Maximize Your Influence, just pick up a little shipping and handling. It's interesting how we've gone from, I trust you, give me a reason not to to, I don't trust you, give me a reason to trust you. So from trust to distrust, to now to trustless, to where trust is becoming less of an issue, especially with tech, especially with blockchain, you're up to speed on that one. And it's also transferring to sales persuasion, and influence negotiation. How do you become trustless where it becomes a non-issue? So that is a hot trending topic right now. Let me know if you want to know more about that. We can spend some podcasts on that. You can contact me at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. So let's dive in this week. Let's get started with the geeky scarly article. This comes from the University of Kansas, University of Miami, the Journal of Management Science, and ScienceDaily.com. How about the color red influences investor behavior influences everyone what are the pervasive effects of red on people now if you've read Maxim influence or have gone through influenceuniversity.com you know that colors trigger different responses and that can change based on culture but colors do trigger feelings positive and negative that we have to be very careful of most people just don't realize that colors matter And not only does it vary by culture, it varies by profession. For example, to see red, just saying that means you're angry. When you face turns red, to see red, to become red, that has a certain meaning. But to investors, it has a whole different meaning. Now, we have to take a note on cultures. For example, in China, red represents prosperity, to somebody in finance, somebody investing, somebody in business being in the red has a whole nother feeling. So the study found that when they used red, say on the internet or ways to market their materials, that investors delayed important financial decisions just based on seeing the color red. When they didn't see the red, they were quicker to make those decisions, Now, there's red lights, red stop signs. Another interesting note here, side note, that we all think red is the first color that kind of pops that we see. It's actually the color yellow. That's why you see a lot of fire trucks, fire hydrants becoming yellow because that's the first color that will trigger in our brain. If I put all the colors up, red's going to be probably around number two, but yellow tends to be number one. So in Western cultures... We're conditioned with the color red, and that it's a bad thing. Uh, Big red F. If you've ever turned in an English paper, whether it be in college or in school, yeah, everything's marked in red. That's a bad thing. Anything in red doesn't turn out to be a good thing, so we're conditioned to hate the color red. And we also associate it with danger or red flag warnings that can be at the beach or pollution. The American Heart Association uses it to indicate hypertensive, blood pressure, you're over, you're in the red. And that goes to investors too, negative stock returns. Now on a side note, William Basley, who helped with the study, did a study a while back that found that the color of sportswear may influence outcomes in Olympics. Now isn't that interesting? We're not going to go into that, just wanted to put it out there, that color... Makes a huge difference. In fact, another side note a study read that color can impact 60% of the impact of an object or a person or, or a product. I mean, it's no secret that corporations spends millions of dollars to figure out what colors to use. I read a study well back that was looking at laundry detergent. Was it in a blue box? Oh, too weak. Yellow box? Too strong, but blue and yellow is just right. Even the color flexed laundry detergent they do research on, and it makes a huge difference. You know, black pills are stronger than white pills. Blue pills are for sleeping. Red pills are for stimulants. I mean, it makes a big difference. So think about colors, the colors you use, the colors you wear. It makes a big difference. I call it an association trigger. You know, pink tends to be a calming color. Painting gel cells pink reduced violence. And the last study I read for men, red, white, and blue, that pulled the best. Red suit, blue shirt, white tie, and of course, I'm kidding. (laughs) If you're wearing a red suit, maybe you need a little horns on your head. But no, blue suit, white shirt, red tie, that tends to pull the best. And we've all heard the, especially in the big presidential debates, they spend all this time on what type of tie, the color of tie, the design of tie they're going to wear because it does make a difference. So with that, let's get back into our listener email. Oh boy! This is part two from last podcast, where Pete from London was asking about some of the top blunders, blunders I've experienced. I mean, we've done a lot of podcasts, a lot of blunders. done some ninjas too, and we went through a few last. We didn't have time to finish it up. So let's talk about a few more. Blunders that you're experiencing, that you're doing, costing you your ability to influence, costing you money. Let's go into a few more. So I went through the hundreds of different blunders that we've experienced during these podcasts, and I put some together, some that are probably top of the list that most people are doing. I mean, last time we talked about prejudging, self-negotiating, RBF, assuming the wrong thing, verbal packaging. Not charging enough. and let's time, let's get into a few more. Now I was doing some secret shopping for Cadillac. One of the fun things I get to do, I get to interview people after they've lied to you, after they've said no, I get to call them to the customer service, secret shopping, find out what's really going on. They don't know that I'm there to do this. That's what makes it fun. So I go to this Cadillac dealership, but of course, it was, what do I got to do to get you in a car today? And I'm like, uh, really? Uh, Minus 10 points there, Mr. Cheesy High Lactose Person. When has that ever really worked? But they still lead with that. And I just kind of smiled and made a mental note. And he says, what do you want to look at? And I said, let's look at the Escalades. And he grabs a key fob. We walk out there and he starts the car from 50 feet away. I'm like, okay, I can turn the key. Hits another thing on the key fob and the back tailgate lifts up all by itself. And I'm like, I can lift the back tailgate. The challenge is people throw these what I call persuasion darts, hoping they stick. They vomit all the features without really looking at the benefits to really find out what that person wants. Because when you look at marketing feature versus benefits, you have to ask yourself, which means? What does it really mean? Why do I really want to join a health club? It's not that it's 24 hours a day or the best equipment or the best trainers, I want to look good. I want to feel good. I want to lose the weight. And so when you look at features versus benefits, and this is a huge challenge unless you're dealing with a subject matter expert or professional buyer, is that you have to spell out the benefits. You can't assume that people can assign a benefit to it. If I say a car has 450 horsepower, half of you are probably like, yeah, giddy up. The other half you are like, I don't know what that means. Never assume they can assign a benefit. You ask yourself, which means? Who cares? So what? get to the point. Who cares you can start the car from 50 feet away? Well, hello, if there's ice on the windows, snow, hot climate, warm climate, who cares if the back tailgate can lift up? You're holding groceries, you have kids, there could be a benefit to that. And he was just vomiting, throwing these persuasion darts, thinking that what he thought was cool, I thought would be cool. Then we got in the car and sat down and he says it has heated seats. I'm like, I'm always hot, Who cares? What is the benefit of that? So what? Which means, you know, cold climate, even a hot climate, had air conditioning seats, which I still never got used to when they're blowing air through your pants. But anyway, some people like that. But you know, my wife might like heated seats, or I can keep the pizza warm in the passenger seat with a heated seat. I mean, there's some benefits to that. Or the best thing, he didn't even mention... That if you're driving in the summertime, you have one of your kids in the passenger seat, you just, you know, hit the, when they're not looking at the uh, heated seat, when they're not looking, and two to three minutes later, they start to squirm. Hello, best practical joke ever. <laughs> and let me know if you also do that. And then he's talking about, okay, satellite radio, 150 stations. Now, you know me, I'm a personal development junkie. I will never, ever listen to satellite radio want books on audio and podcasts, personal development. At double speed, of course. And with that persuasion dart, that feature, that actually gave me an objection. I don't want this. Do I have to pay more? Is there going to be a hole in the console when I get ripped out? Are they going to bill me every month? Is it going to be impossible to cancel? I didn't even be thinking about that, but he thought it was the coolest thing ever, throwing that persuasion dart. There was no benefit at all for me for satellite radio. He's like, oh, camera for when you back up. I'm like, okay, I still look over my shoulder. Who cares? You see where he missed out. He didn't ask why you want to look at the escalades. And he would realize, I don't even care about cars. I'm a boat person. I need something to pull a boat. Then he could have said, Hey, biggest engine in its class. You won't even know you're pulling the boat. It has this camera so you can back up to the tongue of your boat all by yourself without somebody helping you and could adapt it and customize the benefits to what I was looking for. Huge complaint, huge blunder. In fact, as I interview people after they've lied to you, they're just talking three times too much, vomiting too much, saying too much. And the bottom line is there's probably only three or four things that they're really interested in. If you start vomiting and throwing these darts, you're going them things to think about. You're going to give them objections. You're going to give them a reason to think about it. Big one, huge, don't do it. Ask more questions. Next blunder, and this comes through some of my interviews, other research that I've read. This is old school sales where they teach, and they still teach this, they shouldn't, but they do, where you go into someone's office, or you look around when you're watching Zoom and you look for the trophy or the picture of the family or the golf clubs or the fish on the wall, and you're supposed to start talking about them. Sure, it used to work, but again, another cheesy high lactose category, hello, if everybody's coming in to try to persuade them, talks about the trophy, the picture of the fish on the wall, it causes resistance. It doesn't work anymore. In fact, some managers say they're taking the fish home, taking the trophies home. They're tired of talking about them because every person that's coming in to try to persuade them talks about it. Now, side note there, if you see the fish on the wall and you know what type of fish it is and you can talk shop, you can talk intelligently, you know where it was caught and the name, and the test line, and you can really dig deep there, great. But if you're just bringing it up to bring it up, I wouldn't do that. If you know the type of golf clubs, and the local golf courses, and you're an avid, rabid golfer, maybe, maybe talk about it. I mean, if you bring up their family, and you don't have a family, you bring up golfing, and you don't golf, you bring up the fish, and you don't fish, that will backfire on you. So, I'm all about the connecting and talking about it, but I would not lead with that I wouldn't talk about something that's obvious. Another one that backfires on a lot of people is the weather. Oh, it's really hot today, cold today. It's like, okay, red flag, cheesy, along with the on the phone, how you doing today? Used a little too much. Here's another blunder. You might consider it a ninja where real estate agents, they have these setup properties, meaning the real estate agent We'll ask you how much you want to spend. Let we'll me say three hundred thousand. They'll show you a property that's in a bad area; it's terrible. Three hundred. Then they'll show you the next property for three hundred in a good area; it'll look better. At suit stores, they'll show you the junky suit that's for three, four hundred dollars, and then they'll show you the one they really want to sell you. They're creating perspective. That's why when you go buy a car, you say I want to spend thirty, and they'll show you a fifty. You'll end up spending forty thousand dollars. It's kind of a setup. There's a, a negative side to that one too. So there's some negative things to this one where people are kind of using the law of contrast in a negative way. But I want to spin that to something positive that I saw at a suit store, Ben's Warehouse, where they will press your suit for the life of your suit. I call this engagement involvement. I mean, because you can have your setup properties and your setup suits, I guess we'll call them, or setup used cars, and you know that gives people a bad association trigger a lot of times. Or you just do it the right way where you get people in for the right reasons to feel good about it. So what Men's Warehouse does when you buy a suit, they will press it for the life of your suit. I've even heard they're even testing dry cleaning for free. Why? Because you're engaged, you're involved, it puts them on the top of the list. You drop it off, you're getting used to the store. And what I love, you might not, but you come back to pick it up and I think they go on a smoke break or something. They go to McDonald's or something. They take their time to find your suit in the back room as you're looking around, getting used to shopping, buying new things. And if you don't buy, would you need a new suit or you need clothes? Who's on the top of the list? Where are you used to going? What are you familiar with? Oh, It would be men's warehouse. So that would definitely be a ninja. Now, you can use the setup properties or the setup cars and maybe... Sell one car or one thing, but when you take a different approach, get people in for the right reasons, use a lot of reciprocity, then you can sell multiple cars, multiple suits instead of just one and done. Here's what that happened to me. I grew up in California, I was actually doing a seminar down there and was staying at the Queen Mary, which is one of the larger ships in the world. It doesn't go anymore; it's just stuck there in California. And you could take a tour. It actually has a hotel there. You can stay there. And I got there. Parking lot was full. Didn't know where to park. Didn't know where to check in. There was a long line at check-in. The person was not very polite. I had to walk a long way to my room. The thermostat didn't work in my room. The bed was hard. Were all those things really that bad? Maybe not. You have to understand, especially in the hospitality industry, when the first couple things go wrong, whether it be parking, whether it be finding where to check in, whether it be a long line, when the first two or three things go wrong, now I'm looking for everything that's wrong. Now the first two or three things go right, I'm looking for everything that's right. So it's very important that you make sure the first couple things go right, whether it's a consumer, whether it's your website, whether it's meeting someone for the first time, that's very, very important. And if something does go wrong, own it, admit it, make it right. You only get so many strikes against you before everything you do is going to be wrong. I remember checking into another hotel and they didn't have my reservations. They're looking for it. The guy says, let me see whose fault this is. I'm like, wow, okay, even if it was my fault, that's not the way to start a conversation, (laughs) putting somebody on the defensive Let's see whose fault that is. So it doesn't matter what the interaction is. When you're meeting people for the first time, especially in hospitality, especially if you're developing a relationship, make sure the first couple of things go right. You can't control everything, but try to control as much as you can. And this next blunder goes to college students everywhere. I teach university courses, but this is also in the workplace. You know, when somebody comes in the beginning of class and says, you know, I've got some commitments. I'm going to leave a little early. Am I going to miss anything important? <laughs> like, no, I'm just going to talk about stupid things. You're not going to miss anything important. <laughs> really? We say these things. Can I leave early? I'm going to miss anything important. It could be a work meeting, even with your boss. Yeah, I can't make that me. Is there going to be anything important? And the boss is not going to say, yeah, go ahead and miss it. We're going to just talk about dumb things. It's not going to be important. They're having a meeting for a reason. They're having a class for a reason. You can't say, am I going to miss anything important? Will I be set back if I don't do this? Those type of things. Think before you say things. Don't bruise people's egos. Spend a few minutes thinking it through. I mean, it happens every semester, all the time. Am I going to miss anything important if I leave early, if I don't do this? I'm like, really? What is that saying about me, about the class, about your boss, about your meeting? Be very, very careful. And final one. This happened to me while I was flying on a plane. I do a lot with verbal packaging, a lot of verbal packaging, how pilots are trained with the words they use. You know, pilots don't say, oh, plane's broke. <laughs> they say mechanical difficulties. So I had a pilot once that had was kind of good and bad. The pilot came on and says, we have good and bad news. The bad news is we're having mechanical difficulties. Okay, I'll give him some points here. That's better to say than broke. Planes broke. But then he said, here's the blunder. He said, the good news is the ground crew has found the manual and they're attempting to fix it now. (laughs) Okay, so many things wrong with that. Uh, They need a manual and they're attempting and yeah, that does not instill confidence. So make sure you're very careful with the words you use, how you say it. Don't do any of the blunders that we talked about today. It makes a huge difference in your success. Every word matters. Don't be a vomiter. Don't say, am I going to miss anything important and bruise someone's ego? And realize with the law of esteem that when you bruise someone's ego, it shuts the doors to influence. You enhance it. It opens the doors to influence. So take that to heart. Work on those, especially if you're a self-proclaimed vomiter. Work more on asking the right questions, assigning benefits to all the features, Work on something that we talked about today and become more influential. That is the key. But do appreciate you being here. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. You can find us under Maximize Your Influence on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Or go right to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Our promo of the week is taking your presentation IQ. If you present to one-person to a group... Are you just presenting? Or are you persuasive? Are you just informing or more influential? I have a 10-question Persuasion IQ assessment. It's just 10 questions. Go to presentationiq.com, and it'll peg your strengths and your weaknesses. And for helping me out and helping yourself out, I'm going to give you the training on how to create the perfect persuasive presentation. Not only the video, but the template on how to do it step by step by step. Follow the formula. You'll be more charismatic. You'll be more influential. So go to presentationIQ.com, take your assessment, check that out, let me know what you think, and become more charismatic, become more influential, become a better negotiator, because that's the key. You mash these skills, you'll be more successful, have better relations, make more money, and you'll make a difference in the world. So mash these skills and go out and persuade with power.